right, thank you all so much. Um, the Apostle Paul, when he went and traveled and did missionary journeys, he would come back and report to the churches. And so it is our custom here at Harvest whenever we have a mission trip, whether it's the teenagers, uh, college students, uh, family trips, or anything like that, or me. Uh, we come back and we report to you uh, what the Lord did. I, I've been thinking a lot about this trip this past week, and I was struggling with thinking of what is God's, what's the theme of this trip? What has happened? And I, I kind of came to me that this trip has really been about God's direction and redirection from the very beginning. Um, God's direction and redirection has been a theme throughout this, this trip. We, uh, we took a trip to France, just uh, got back on Tuesday, and this was not originally supposed to be a trip to France. Years, a few years ago, back in uh, 20, uh, 2020, 2019, after we came back from London in 2019, visiting the Gibbons, we immediately started talking to uh, Sam Slobodian, who had a ministry in Ukraine, and it was the goal to go. Uh, my dad and I were actually talking about partnering together and going and teaching uh, some pastors in Ukraine. And there was a pastor's, uh, there's a seminary there, and they would go in and have these Ukrainian pastors and teach them and, and serve them. It would be a week-long uh, or 10-day uh, trip uh, to Ukraine. Well, as you know, uh, there was a war that broke out um, in Ukraine, and we put our trip on pause. And when the trip was put on pause, we were thinking about what to do next, where to go next, and if we should just take a break. Well, then the Lochers came to town. We had them around our dinner table. And we were talking, and I was explaining to them, yeah, it's just so sad. We had to just cancel this trip. We had just uh, decided to cancel it not too long, not too, not, too, um, uh, not too much before that. And he said, well, you should think about coming to France. And we started talking about it, and it worked out that we would go to France. And uh, my wife and I traveled. Uh, we went to visit uh, several places. I want to give you a basic update on where we went. Uh, as we went, we, uh, we went, oh, that's really tiny. I'm so sorry. Um, September the 4th, we arrived in Paris. We had some touring opportunities. We're very grateful for the opportunity to, to tour. Uh, we spent a few days on our own. Uh, the church uh, sent us to France, and we got to take a few, few of those days, and, and you'll see some pictures from those uh, days as well. Uh, we met up with the Lochers on September 8th, which was a Friday, and they took us to Normandy. We had the opportunity to go to the Normandy beaches there and, uh, and see, uh, see the, the, the sites and see the, uh, the cemetery. I'll show you photos of that as well. Uh, in September 10th, that was a Sunday, we went to Luxembourg where their church is, and then the 11th through the 13th, we prepped for the start of the school semester, and I got to teach in the institute on September 14th and 15th, and we went uh, to a, a city called Trier in Germany on Saturday the 16th, and then on the 17th, we once again had church in Luxembourg, and then we went from, uh, from there to Paris and then back home. Um, I want to show you uh, some of the, uh, in Paris to Charlotte again on the 18th and the 19th. These, this is a little bit of our, our movements around the country. You'll notice there in the middle is Paris. Uh, right here is Paris. We, we flew into Paris, and then we ended up meeting the Lochers in Evreux, Normandy, went out to Normandy beaches where uh, the cemetery was and the, uh, the beaches there. We came all the way across country, uh, traveled all the way back to where they live in Algrange, which is near Metz. If you know where Metz is, it's north of Metz. Algrange is a, is a little town. I'll have a picture of it in a minute, but it reminded both Jenna and me of like West Virginia. It was hilly. It was a former coal mining area, and uh, most of the people there no longer work in mining. Most of them now go to Luxembourg, uh, which is a big banking country. And, uh, and it's a lot like Harvest, I mean, sorry, a lot like Rock Hill in Charlotte. Uh, it's about as close to Luxembourg as Rock Hill is to Charlotte, and Charlotte's a big banking area. Luxembourg's a big banking area. So, um, and then this is Trier, Germany, right here, right across the border. Um, and uh, you'll notice uh, Belgium is right here. We were close to Belgium, but we never actually went to Belgium. So we did get a one, two, three, four countries knocked off on, on one visit, which is pretty good. Um, after the trip to, uh, to, we basically stayed here the whole time, and then we came back for our flight home, we came back to Paris, then to London to fly home to Charlotte. So that was kind of our, our, our trip uh, there. There are the places we got to go see Paris, Normandy, Algrange, Luxembourg, uh, Trier, and, and London. Uh, one of the things that developed in, in my mind as I was walking through these places, we got to see a lot of churches. And there really is a, a, a theme here that developed of spiritual history or spiritual memory, but uh, spiritual darkness. There is a memory of Christianity. There is, a, there is a sense of Christianity. There is the facade of Christianity, but there is no power. There is no gospel there. And many of the churches were beautiful. This is just one of the churches actually in Germany we went to. And it's a Protestant church there. But uh, as far as I know, the gospel is not being preached um, in, this, in this church. Beautiful church, lots of history. 
Um, this is one of the last places we visited, actually, with the Loschers. And on the left, you'll see one of the uh, reliefs, one of the, the huge sculpture reliefs and one of the churches just sitting there on its own. Um, and then on the right, you'll see Saint-Chapelle, which is another church um, in, in Paris. Uh, that, that church on the right does not even have a pulpit. It's a church basically made to be beautiful, and that's it. And uh, as beautiful as it was, and you'll see the, the beautiful stained glass windows, I sent this picture to our, to our office, and I said, I got an idea for our new building. I want <laughs> each one of these panes, you can see Jenna down here. This is how tall these, these, these roofs, I mean, these uh, glass, uh, stained glass windows were. It was incredible. Each one of these actually told a Bible story. Um, they started at Genesis and then Exodus and then Leviticus and then uh, Numbers and Deuteronomy. They had the first five books of the Bible, and they had First and Second Kings. They had uh, the Gospels, and then on the very back window, they had the book of the Revelation in a, what's called a rose glass. And it was beautiful. Everything was stunning. It was gorgeous. It was a- a sparkling. Some of my photos didn't turn out because much of the light was just streaming in that room. But again, it was a spiritual memory. There's a spiritual memory there but a lack of gospel preaching. There was no gospel preaching coming from that church. And it, it's a sad thing that uh, these beautiful places, they, used to, they perhaps may have one day preached the gospel. I don't think this church ever was uh, built to preach the gospel, but yet what happens now is there are museums, and, and there are places where people go to see beautiful things, but they miss out on the truth. And, it, and that was one of the things that just uh, touched, our tor- tor- uh, touched my heart. In fact, this is just outside that Saint-Chapelle. You'll notice um, the carvings. You can't really see it too well on our photo here, but uh, these carvings were intricate, detailed car- carvings telling biblical stories. Um, these are all Bible stories told in art. Uh, even the uh, Noah's Ark here uh, told, and you'll notice there's two little turtles down here. I thought that's really uh, funny. Um, and uh, you'll notice them all the Bible stories told. In fact, in, in, while we went to Algrange, which was this coal mining town, one of the first nights we were there, Jen and I took a walk up the hill and went there on the, um, uh, went on the, on the side of the hill to see a good overview. And what we could notice was um, this shrine. There was a shrine to Mary up on top of the hill. Uh, this is a, a very uh, dark, uh, spiritually blind place. Uh, people worshiping Mary, and I don't know what this place is used for. Um, We didn't see anybody using it, but this is uh, just some sort of uh, shrine that was in use. In fact, in one place, we went to uh, a Sacred Heart Basilica there on top of of Montmartre, or as the French call it, Sacré-Cœur, and when we were up there, we walked through and saw the beautiful uh, things going on while the the priest, uh, the people were actually conducting a service. And it was kind of the med- big metaphor for the whole thing. All of us tourists were walking on the outside of the service, uh, and many of them had their phones up videotaping everything that was going on while they were having some sort of uh, worship service uh, in- inside. And it, this, is what, this is what is very typical um, there in France. But in Algrange, one of the things I noticed was that the young people aren't very religious. In fact, uh, it's a coal mining town, and what you'll notice is you have... Um, uh, inscriptions like this, which is an anarchist uh, inscription, uh, young people who are, um, um, who are violent uh, would put inscriptions like this or tag these um, carts. This is a cart that stands to represent um, uh, coal mining industry that is, is, is no longer really there. And also when we went to Trier, we noticed uh, people like this, a statue to Karl Marx, uh, who was born there in Trier, and I went to school there in Trier. And um, I have to admit, when I sent this picture to my brother, I drew a little mustache on him. Uh, so, uh, men like Karl Marx uh, are, are, are hailed and, uh, and honored there in, in Europe. But we saw some beautiful nature and a beautiful culture in many ways as well. We met up with the Loschers. These are the Loschers, Walter and Carol. Loscher, we know them. You know them. They've been here many times. They serve in France. They used to serve in Cameroon, uh, West Africa. The Lord redirected them after Cameroon experienced a lot of uh, turmoil, a lot of uh, civil war and danger. Uh, this is outside of a Gothic cathedral in Evro, uh, and it just happened to be a place uh, we, we met after we, we left uh, Paris to meet with them. We met in Evro, and uh, they, they said, you've got to see this cathedral. It's like from the 10th century, and it's 13th century, perhaps. Then we went up to uh, Normandy. We saw the beaches there. We also saw some beautiful landscapes. This is uh, uh, one of the places called Etretat, and um, it's just gorgeous white white cliffs. And then uh, if you can see this picture here, this is uh, there's a very very tall cliff here, and there's a little person up there, and that person is me. 
Um, my wife took that photo, uh, and uh, there were these, uh, just, it just really is stunning and beautiful. Um, this is Carol. Carol's a very adventurous person. She could do anything and go anywhere. And she and Jenna disappeared uh, from Walter and me a couple times. And by the end, we made a joke. We said, we really got to attach a little red balloon to them so we can follow them around. Uh, they, just, they just went everywhere, and they walked on their own and went out and um, had a great time. We saw some beautiful, beautiful things uh, with, the cult, with, the, uh, with the, just the physical beauty of this place. It was stunning. We also saw some beautiful art things and beautiful culture things. This is inside the Musée d'Orsay, which is an old train station inside Paris. It's gorgeous. Uh, if you go to see the Mona Lisa, if you turn around, you'll see this picture. Uh, and this, this painting is a painting of the, uh, the wedding at Cana. And it is a, it is a stunning and, and really, really amazing photo. Not photo, it's a it's painting, obviously. But to, uh, to, to look at and study, and my wife and I spent a few minutes um, uh, analyzing it there at the Louvre and had a, had a wonderful time. I also, uh, we, I mean, I, I can't show you all the paintings. There's so, too many, and we, it's really not the p- point of our mission trip. But while we were there, I made special attention to look at all the religious stuff I could find, and I was on my way out. This was close to the end of our visit, and I saw this painting. And I'm wondering, does anybody know what this painting is? Or who they are? Can anybody guess? You got four guys looking at a book. Yes, it's the evangelist, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Very good. Now, who's who? It's not as hard as you think. This, is real, this made me laugh, actually. Okay, so it actually goes Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And the reason we know this is because Matthew, Mark, and Luke wrote synoptic gospels. They're often called the synoptic gospels because they share a lot of material, right? And you can compare them with each other. They have a lot of similar material. Once you notice, all Matthew, Mark, and Luke are all looking at the same book. John's got his own book, okay? So that's the synoptic gospels and John. But there's another detail that made me laugh. Why, what is Mark wearing? In the Gospel of Mark, there's this fascinating little story. At the end of Mark, when Jesus is captured and arrested, there is a little detail about a young man who was wearing a cloak. And when the, when the guards show up, they grab the cloak, and the young man escapes through the forest naked. Most scholars believe that young man was Mark, who, having experienced that that night, was writing the gospel and had to include that little detail in there. Because wouldn't you remember it if you were naked running through the wilderness at night? Of course you would. Or running through the woods, I should say, at night. So, so the mark is described here, is pictured here wearing just a bed sheet, basically. Right? So this, this just caught my attention, caught my eye. I took a picture. I thought, that is great. That is really funny and, and really interesting. In the Louvre, we also saw some amazing artifacts from Bible times. Um, I just want to show a couple of them to you here. I'm, I'm fascinated with ancient Near Eastern uh, artifacts, and this is one of the things that to me was uh, really actually enriching uh, educationally on this trip. Uh, this is a, um, a, a little, um, uh, say, carving from Egypt from about 690 to 664 BC. Um, it's just a very traditional uh, guy presenting wine to the god um, Heman. Uh, here's a, a, a sphinx. Um, just a, a relief carving on a, on a brick, on a stone. Um, I want to show you one of these things also that was pretty incredible. This, it's hard to, to, to understand uh, scale a lot of times when you study biblical uh, backgrounds and biblical history. This is a post that would have been outside a palace in Persia, and I think they actually said they lowered it, but this is, this is very grand stuff. You can tell it's just, look how small I am compared to that thing. It's massive. And um, in Persia, they, this would have been Bible times. And then also these, I actually saw some of these in the British Museum when we were there, but these are mosaics that were outside the capital, Susa, and Esther and Mordecai would have seen these, would have seen these very things, right? When they were in Susa, they would have walked by these things outside the palace uh, there in Susa. As I mentioned, scale is a very hard thing to capture on, in books. Uh, and so often you hear Bible stories about idols, and Bible stories about Baal idols. And I, in my mind, had often thought of Baal idols as being very large. I want to show you what a Baal idol looks like. That is a Baal idol. You'll notice they're Baal idols because they have pointy heads. All the Baal, a lot of times Baal is described with having a, a really pointy head. And then you'll notice over here, you know what that is? That's a golden calf. That's a golden calf right there. See that calf? That is a golden calf. We often think of golden calves as being extremely large. 
We don't know how big the golden calf was that they are worshiping. It could have been something small or smaller like this. These are actually called teraphim. They're household idols. If you remember the story of Rachel, when she leaves her family, she is hiding her idols underneath her, 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 um, her stuff or underneath in her luggage. And uh, I've talked to somebody recently who said, yeah, it's kind of it always interested me. Like, how could you hide a statue in your luggage? Wouldn't that kind of stick out? Or No, you're talking about things about the size of a G.I. Joe right? So household idols are very common. They would put them up on their mantle or put them up in their house. And this just gives you an idea of scale. We're talking about something maybe six inches tall uh, here. And Jenna took that picture just to help with the scale. This is also a very important archaeological discovery from the 1800s. It's called the Misha Stela, or Stella, and it was, uh, tells a story of Israel's oppression of the Moabite people from the perspective of the Moabites. This is a Moabite stone that was written in the Moabite language, and it dates to around 840 B.C. And in it, the, the writer, the king of, of, um, of Moab, talks about how he's been oppressed by Omri, the king of Israel. And uh, it's one of those very important uh, archaeological discoveries that points to the Scripture and points to the authenticity of the Word of God. So I saw that and I had to take a picture next to it. I was very excited uh, to see that. One other um, uh, archaeological or artifact thing, this is a, uh, a thing called Winged Victory. It's very famous, um, um, but it's the Winged Victory of Samothrace. And I just preached through Acts and I saw that Samothrace, which is one of the stops Paul made on, I think it was his last missionary journey. He stopped at Samothrace and he might have seen this exact of course, she probably had a head back then uh, and arms, but uh, it was, it's representing uh, the goddess uh, Nike uh, or, or Victory sitting on, standing on what's uh, like a, a, um, a stone um, boat and, uh, you know, being a, some sort of um, sign of victory uh, for, the, for the Greek people. We went, one of the other moving things we got to do was go to Normandy with, with the Loshers. They said, we really want to take you to Normandy and see the, um, the D-Day uh, landing zone. Landing spot is also the cemetery. So we got to the American cemetery there in Normandy. It was refreshing to read English. Uh, we had been in, in France and everything was in French. And then you walk into Normandy and everything's in English. And then it's in French, which was a nice, a nice change. We, this is the downstairs there. Uh, you'll notice they do a day-by-day, hour-by-hour. Um, actually, it's June 6th, hour-by-hour here. You can walk through and see all the things that happened on that day, on D-Day. Uh, these are just some of the things that we saw. This is a, a very moving, touching uh, piece of um, uh, uh, just a, a, a respectful um, memorial to those who died. Uh, you see some, some pictures there of the occupation uh, during the time, and then a, a hall of memory with stories of different people uh, from America who died there in France. Here are a couple of pictures of the, of the uh, markers that mark the names of the people. One of the things they do there in Normandy every June is um, on the day, uh, on, the, on the anniversary, they'll take sand from Normandy Beach and they'll come up and they will uh, take a wet sponge and wipe the names uh, in, with sand. And so the sand becomes in the, and the names, uh, goes into the names where the, where the crosses are. And you can see them stand out. There's another picture of, of how perfectly they're all lined. It was very moving. I mean, this is the beach from, from the cemetery. You can see how far they had to go and how difficult it was. Just a couple more pictures here. As an American, this is extremely moving of what these men gave and what these men did uh, for our country and for our freedoms. We're very grateful. It's a place called Pointe de Hoc. Pointe de Hoc is a very important uh, battle that where they scaled these mountains. The rangers scaled these mountains. Uh, I'm sorry, these cliffs in order to take out some guns there. Uh, this is one of the uh, uh, old fortifications there. Uh, even at the beach, this is another place, a uh, picture describing that. This is uh, Omaha Beach. Um, and from the, from the perspective of the, of the pier you're on there, you can just see how, how the, they would, the, the, the um, defenses would have been way up high and they landing on the beach is why so many people died. Uh, what a difficult thing to do, and we're very grateful. As we went, we also went to Chonville, which was a little town uh, next to where we were, and even there, it's on the Moselle River, there's, there are these kinds of, of monuments, and this monument says, uh, here uh, on the night of November 10th, 1944, American troops of the 2nd Battalion uh, and a company of the 315 uh, Battalion of Engineers uh, crossed the Moselle in assault canoes in memory of the U.S. soldiers and Mosellian residents who died for the liberation of Thionville. So these little markers are, are everywhere. Thankful for the U.S. soldiers, so um, they're very grateful uh, there. As we ministered, we ministered primarily in Luxembourg with the church and in Algrange with the institute. This was our primary, our primary work of, 
uh, ministering there. We're very, we're very happy to do touring, but we're, really we're there to work and there to uh, encourage and come alongside and lift up their arms while we were able to, uh, and we were able to do that in many different ways. This is um, Luxembourg. This is the palace there at Luxembourg. You see the two little huts where the guards stand. Um, it's kind of like the, the, the guards in England where they have the guards in the little huts, the same kind of thing. This is a, a building, an old building that was bombed during World War II. They left it up. You find these things uh, around, uh, and it's very, very uh, uh, moving to see. This is the building in which the church meets in Luxembourg. On the bottom floor, you can barely see it. It says uh, Christian Community Church, and it's in English because there is an English church in Luxembourg that used to use this building, and now they've grown to the point where they can no longer use this building, so they moved to another high school. They're meeting at a high school, and they let the Loscher's French-speaking church meet here. So they meet here in this building, and we got to meet there. This is uh, us standing with the Loscher's and talking to this young man who's from Russia, and he was visiting, uh, he was witnessing to people in the area, inviting them out uh, to the church. He came up to get some information from us, and he was doing that on a Saturday. This is the church at Glees Baptiste de Luxembourg, so Baptist Church of Luxembourg. When we got there on Sunday, uh, it was really neat. We got to pre- I got to preach. Uh, I preached in English, and Walter translated. I had, the, I had a really great idea. Early, early, a few weeks ago, I was like, I should try to memorize this in French and see if I can. It was a terrible idea. It didn't work. Uh, I, I tried that for maybe an hour or two, and I said, this is just not going to happen. So um, even just to, to get it translated would have been impossible. So he was very gracious, and it did a wonderful job. I really appreciate his, his translating. It's not easy to stand up there and translate, but he did a good job. And I was careful to speak slowly, and I tried my best to uh, to, to, uh, to do a good job with that. It's hard. It's hard when you're preaching with a translator, uh, but he did, a, he did a very good job, and I'm thankful for that. One of the other ways we were able to minister was Jenna was able to play the piano, and Jenna likes to keep her piano playing a secret uh, most of the time, but uh, uh, Carol said uh, to Jenna, she said, hey, I, I remember you played the piano. Can you play for me on Sunday? And Jenna said, sure, and so she, she played the piano both Sundays we were there, and it was a huge blessing. Just that was a relief for Carol, who, who, who does a great job, but she has to practice, and she was so thankful to be able to do that. There was also a little orchestra. It reminded me a lot of the early days of Harvest, and we had our little orchestra over here. There was a violin and a saxophone, a guitar, and what else? And a flute. Uh, and this is just a little bit I was able to capture there. We, I preached that first Sunday, um, and Walter uh, translated for me. And then after that Sunday, we were talking. We said, what else can we do to help? And uh, I said, I'd be happy to lead singing for you, because he had been leading, leading songs. He said, would you please do that. And so I got to lead singing the second Sunday, and I did that in French, um, except uh, when I introduced the songs, I, I did it in English. But we got the songs early, and I got one of the students in the institute, and he helped me on my pronunciation, and I did the very best I could. I don't know if they understood what I was saying or not. <laughs> But uh, my high school French, which my family still makes fun of me for, uh, it came in, came, it was a little bit of help. My wife and I actually worked on French for about a year uh, leading up to this. We worked on it uh, every day. We used apps on our phones, and we tried to get familiar with this. So we took a lot of time in trying to be um, somewhat conversant with folks. This is a nice family we met. Uh, did you all have a chance to talk to them this afternoon? It worked out? Great. Um, they are the uh, Reichbusch's uh, family, Reichbusch family, and um, he lives, they both live in, or they all live, I should say, in Luxembourg, and the kids go to school in Luxembourg, speak like four languages. They had us over to dinner on Friday night, had a great time, got to really know them, and a sweet family, uh, and uh, really encouraged. I think they're a huge encouragement uh, to the Loshers there. Um, he doesn't speak very good English, uh, but his daughter speaks very good English, and uh, the son speaks pretty good English as well. The youngest boy doesn't, doesn't do quite as well, but he's working on it. But uh, I think the father was very, very proud of his daughter, and we were eating dinner together. At one point, I looked over, I noticed that he had his, his phone up and was videotaping his daughter speaking to us Americans, was just beaming with, beaming with pride. We had a great time ministering there, uh, in Luxembourg. We also ministered in Algrange. Algrange, as I mentioned, is this little uh, town that's in, in the middle of this valley uh, on, on two, two hills on either side. It's a, it's a, um, uh, was a former um, uh, mining area. And this is the Institute Pastoral Biblique Baptist, or, or it's the Baptist Bible Pastors Institute. Uh, this is what it looks like. Uh, this is the institute here. Uh, the institute is on the left here with the white, uh, the, the white building. The yellow building is the dormitory 
And so this is where the students will stay. On the, in the white building, um, the first floor that you walk in are the offices and the library. If you go downstairs, which I'll show you in a minute, you will see uh, there is a, a cafe, like an like a eating area and a, and a, 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 a recreation area and then a kitchen. And then upstairs, one level, are the classrooms. They have, I think, two classrooms outfitted with Zoom technology. So they have people from Africa and people from all over uh, Zooming into their classes. They have more students than just are in the class. They can run two, stu- two classes at the same time. And then if you go further up, they have teachers who come in for block classes who will stay up in the third floor. The, I guess that's one, two, three, the fourth floor. Uh, will stay on that top floor and we got to stay up there in one of those um, uh, the apartments up there. And uh, there's no air conditioning in any of these homes. In any of the places we went, it was very, very hot. It was about 90 degrees almost every day. And it started to cool off by the end of our visit. But uh, thank the Lord for air conditioning. Uh, that was one thing. Somebody asked me, was there something I missed while I was gone? And I say, yes, air conditioning, absolutely. Um, but this is the, uh, the wonderful um, dormitory on the main floor was the guys. The next floor up would be the ladies. And then the basement floor... There was what they, uh, just a bunch of storage and a laundry room, which I, again, we'll show you in a minute. I'm going to turn this over to Jenna in just a second, but I want to mention that several of the, the community churches uh, had folks come together to clean, and they had to get the, all the buildings ready for these students that were coming in. And so this was a big part of our, our work. We worked really hard those first few days once we got Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, uh, getting these buildings ready. And so everything, all the floors were scrubbed, all the things were clean. Um, these were windows and little coverings on windows. This was my job. I got to clean these by hand, uh, just one by one going down, cleaning them all off. Jenna got to scrub and make it very, very clean. This was the entrance away. She took a lot of time doing that. We did everything from painting. This is the, uh, the laundry room in the basement of the dormitory. I got to paint that floor, clean it up, paint it. I fixed, there was a thing with their, their uh, uh, dryer that was not quite working right. We got that working properly. And then I even got a chance to, um, to do some cement work. I got to patch some cement uh, in the back, and, or concrete, I should say, in the back, and had a good time doing that. It was, uh, you know, reading instructions on the bag and just doing the best I could, and, and it worked. Uh, it, it worked well, and so we're very grateful for the opportunity uh, to do this. I'm going to ask Jenna to come up. She's going to talk a little bit about what she did um, as part of this uh, ministry there in Algranche. Well, first of all, um, I, I, my dad's not here, but he might be watching. So I have to thank my dad for being a bachelor for two weeks and a couple days because my mom moved in with, as, as well as my sister Kristen, and they took over parenting and teaching and homeschooling and all of those fun things. So I went from a mom that hardly left the walls of my own house, um, and my vocabulary is pretty basic on a daily, day-to-day basis to trying to, um, trying to absorb another language and to navigate through, uh, Paris and France and all that. And, um, so I, I just had to thank them. I know Katie and Ryan and Papa and Gigi also provided some, some backup, but, um, had to thank them. And I do thank, um, Pastor Drew and Danielle and, the Shivis as well, because I remember when Pastor Fant and his family would go out of town, I would always get so nervous. <laughs> and um, so thank you guys for all the extra that you did that we don't even know about. But um, as Marshall said, we prepared quite a bit. We spent a lot of time, even as a family, talking about France, learning about France, um, learning French words. And I'm so thankful that I got to I, I was afraid I would be limited in my eating to only eating the words I could pronounce, which would have meant I could have only eaten croissants, oranges, chocolate, and coffee. So the good news is, is a, a lot of things were in English. I could point. They understood. We tasted some amazing food. Um, so Marshall, going into this trip, had an official job, a, a purpose, but I did not. And so it really was fun to kind of be able to contribute and to end up um, helping out wherever we could. And so I have a secret skill that I'm an expert in, and and that is I'm an expert in searching Pinterest. So I got to use that skill while we were there because they had been working all summer on 
um, not a full renovation, but really updating the institute on both sides. And so we got to come in and just do some finishing things and help them execute the last few touches, just kind of make it warm and friendly. We got to um, kind of decorate and hang some stuff in the girls' dorm. And we got to set up a, a coffee station, which I think he was going to show. Sure oh, yeah. <laughs> so this is all stuff they actually already already had, and we just... They found the shelves in their uh, shed, and then this stuff, they, they had the coolest stuff, but it was in cabinets, and they used it every day. So we put it up on shelves. Let's see if that the next one will go. There we go. So we arranged it because coffee in France is like tea in England. They drink it all day long, and it's really good coffee. So that was really fun. But um, I don't think I'm going to turn anymore. Oh, is it? Is it going? Okay. Um, and then we just helped with some general cleaning and repairs. And, you know, it's really neat when um, one of the thing, thoughts in the back of my mind on a trip like this is God can use very average skills. And, he, and, and in his hands, he can use him for his glory, use it for his glory. So it was really fun just to come alongside and um, roll up our sleeves and just help out any way we could. Um, and really, that, that brings me to kind of our, our goals that Marshall mentioned were to encourage them personally, but to represent all of you and to assure them of your prayers and um, your support, and then to just kind of better know them and know how to pray for them. And so I hope those goals were accomplished, but I, I, I think what I'm always, I, I was surprised at in our London trip, but I was, again, surprised here was how how your hearts just become so knit with the people you're ministering with. We've known the Lozers for years, but serving with them and knowing, you, you just get to know someone on a different level. And we really did have fun. I, uh, Carol and I, um, I felt like we were two peas in a pod. We kind of accidentally got lost a couple times and we, we would lose service. And But we just kept plodding ahead. We didn't feel lost, but... Um, we got to adventure in um, Etretat on the White Cliffs. That was amazing. Um, we, I also specifically packed my tennis shoes because when she was here one time, she talked about how she used to go jogging. She, she goes jogging, and I thought, man, it would be so neat if, if she would let me join her on one of her, her jogs or something. Well, it turns out that one day when Marshall was speaking at the Institute, she said, do you want to go on a bike ride? And I was like, sure. So we went on this very long and fun bike ride along the River Moselle. I really don't know how far we went. She said 100 kilometers, which sounds like a lot. I think we did probably at least 60, but we just rode until we couldn't ride anymore, and we crossed the bridge, and then we rode back. And um, it, it was just neat to see their heart for their their country, for their people, and, you know, being up close with them, they're brilliant people. She's an OBGYN. She speaks at least two languages. He speaks two, maybe three languages. He has a PhD. But they're so humble. And there was nothing that was too low for them to do. And, and then just to see their love for these people. The older I get, the more I, I see people like that. And I, I recognize, you know, they weren't, they're not just that way because they happen to be that way. They have made intentional choices along the way that they have committed to do the hard thing and there was even one point during our when we were getting our bikes unloaded from the car that we were talking about something and and she just made a passing comment about um you know there are those times that you want to quit but you keep going and it's those times where you think man they are they are not here by accident they are here because they followed the lord through thick and thin but to to see them and to spend time with them they're having a blast. <laughs> we had a blast. We loved it. So serving the Lord is fun too, but I just respect them so much for what they have obviously given up to serve in this place. Um, and they're apart from their kids too. So when you pray for them, think about that. They have adult children. They have a couple grandchildren and FaceTime's awesome, but it's not the same as being in person. Um, and then I was just going to share a little bit about the family, the Rikabushes, that he showed pictures of. Because when you enter a culture that has another language, which many of you had, it is such a crazy experience. I mean, you can't ever check out. Your mind is constantly 
interpreting and reading and trying to cling to anything that looks familiar. And when we walked into the service and I saw this family there and we started to interact with our, you know, small talk that we could manage. Her English was far better than my French, so we spoke English. But um, I instantly knew in that second that we had so much in common. And, and at the base, I knew we had a family philosophy that was similar because here she comes out, she pulls out her violin, her kids pull out their instruments. And you know that those of you who are here, I'm speaking to the choir, <laughs> but to come out to church on a Sunday period with your children is a hard thing to do. I feel like Satan works extra hard on Sundays. But to, to have your children with you and to have them involved in, in a small church speaks volumes about your values and your commitments. And so here we literally have the only thing in common that we have is Christ. But I just, I, I, I look, I get goosebumps thinking about the conversation we'll have in heaven someday about, you know, serving the Lord across the world, but having so much in common. So I, I just, it was so neat. And so they're the family that invited us to dinner. We had such a wonderful time. And again, there's so much that you can communicate without language. And, and then just hearing their kids interact and, and the joy that they had in watching their kids serving. You know, I, we often say, you know, our goal for our kids, and I know many of you are the same way, is like if you have an ability or a talent and you don't use it for the church, what good is it? That is the purpose that God gave it to you. And so to see that happening in another country was just the coolest thing ever. And so, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, I also was just going to mention the seminary students, what a joy it was to interact with them. Sharp, wonderful, humble people. But I look at them and I'm like, some of these kids, most of these kids know about five languages fluently. And I, that is not an exaggeration. In fact, a couple of the kids were joking that they needed to learn a new language because they always had an escape language. They would be with their parents. One parent spoke Spanish and one parents spoke German and in the home they spoke French but then they would escape with like English and so now they're in a community where all their friends know all their languages so they need to learn another one so they can like have their little inside jokes or make their side comments and my mind's just kind of blowing up as I'm listening to this but it, it is a little foretaste of what heaven will be like without that confusion of like man we Every tribe, tongue, and nation is going to be represented in heaven, and we're going to serve alongside each other. We're going to reminisce. We're going to sit around food and, and talk about these times that I get to introduce you all to these people, these people that you're connected with because we support the Loshers. And so I want to share my favorite French word, and then I'm, I'm just going to wrap up with um, something that I feel like has been on my mind since we left, but um, my favorite French word is souvenir. It's actually, it means remember. And I, I didn't, re, I learned it when we were reading Philippians the second Sunday when um, Dr. Losher was preaching out of Philippians chapter one and he had the text in French on the screen and I was grabbing tiny bites of what he was saying but mostly I was just meditating on the passage in my own Bible. And I, I love Philippians. I love Paul has such a way of expressing. He's so down to earth, and he has such a way of expressing his heart. And especially when it comes to relationships of fellow believers in different locations, which is what he's talking about in Philippians 1. And he's greeting the Philippians, and he says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, every souvenir and, and I just love that idea that that is the thing I brought back the most. I couldn't bring any of the food because it doesn't last. They don't put preservatives in their food. So it doesn't last more than like 24 hours. And I did bring back a few other souvenirs. But the best souvenir I brought back was that memory that I will have with these people. And um, he goes on to say, Always in every prayer of mine, making requests for you all with joy. For your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you, and a lot of people say that means by you or through you, he, he who began this ministry through you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. So he's telling the Philippians that through him, 
as kind of a liaison, they have a ministry with these people over here. And so this ministry, there's a connectedness that we have through Christ. And so on behalf of the Loshers, I know they said to say thank you and to pass on their, their gratitude. But I just want to share with you how, how neat it is that our church has a part in this ministry and how I'm so grateful that I got to go in person. I mean, I feel like it was the greatest treat ever to be able to go myself. And I, I feel kind of spoiled and I'm sorry you couldn't come. You, you can go if you want. But it was just so neat to be with these, these believers. So while there is a dark history, they're, they're still in these odd, you know, maybe not looking, church looking buildings. They're still the the word being preached and still people serving just like just like we do here which we all know that right but it's still neat to see in person and so I just want to encourage you with that and share kind of from my perspective I have a whole bunch more I could talk about as you know but um <laughs> he's getting nervous so I'm gonna get that now uh this is some of Jenna's decorating that she did uh, I was gonna click through it but I did, didn't get to it uh, some of the stuff they were able to decorate was using, like she said, uh, things. This is the crew eating together uh, with us. This is a little uh, lunch we took up on the hill there. Beautiful, beautiful sights. And this was me teaching in the institute there. This is me sitting around. Uh, and during the orientation, I got to teach about uh, my, my talk I did back in 2019, the series of sermons on, on culture. And so we talked about language uh, how uh, the, uh, and postmodernism, authority. We talked about truth and meaning. We talked about uh, defining the self, your heart, and uh, the battle over guilt. Um, so we had a, had a wonderful ministry there. Thank you, Jenna, for that, and I, I really do appreciate that. I would like to tell you how we got home. This is, uh, you know, when we, when we got to, um, uh, this is really a story of God's direction and redirection. Everything is. And, and when, we, when I went to purchase tickets, I, I walked, uh, you know, the, the church provides our tickets uh, to go out there and our transportation to get there before the mission trip. And I, I went to the deacons and I said, I have the tickets, here's how much they cost, and we got everything approved. I went the very next day to purchase the tickets, and the tickets no longer were, uh, they were direct there, but on the way back, there were only layovers. It was very discouraging. I said, man, I don't want to have a layover, and the layovers were like Philadelphia, Dallas, and I said, no, 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 this is not great. And then I looked, and there was one layover in London, and I thought, we know the Gibbons. Let me call Clay and see if it's a good time for us to come and visit with Clay. And so I called him, and I did not know that at that time he had just gotten some very, very difficult news about what the Lord was doing, about, um, about their ministry there. And uh, I think a lot of you know about this if you read their newsletters. They've had some really hard things happen, and it had just happened, and I didn't know anything about it. And I said, well, if now's a bad time, he said, no, no, please come. Please come. We would love to see you. It would be a huge encouragement. So God directed there. So our, they got extend, our trip got extended one day, and, and when we arrived in Paris, it was our first time having to fly into a country and not meeting a missionary there. They were not going to meet us till Friday. And so we got in, and we did a lot of research and had to land and take care of all this business ourselves in French. And, and it, was, um, it was a challenge. I looked up a lot of videos and watched a lot of things, read a lot of books, and I, I knew how to buy the tickets for the train to get us into Paris. You had to fly into Charles de Gaulle Airport. You had to go downstairs. You had to go into the, uh, there were these kiosks there. You could select English, and you could buy a ticket very easily, and then you had to get your Metro card and everything. And I did all this. I got to the Metro card counter, and I said, I need to get a Metro card uh, for, our, for our week here in Paris. Um, and he said, uh, and I said, I also bought tickets to train. He said, why did you do that? I said, oh, no, what do you, what do you mean? He said, you, did, you don't need to do that. You should not have bought those tickets. I said, why? He said, because what you're going to buy from me is actually going to cover those tickets and everything. You just wasted your money. He said, but are you coming back? I said, I mean, sort of. Like, we're coming, yeah, we're coming back. He says, well, these will be for your return tickets, which, you know, how it is, uh, you know, back to the, air, back to the, um, the airport from Garden Nord into Paris. So there's a train that goes from Paris, or from the airport down to Paris and then back. And I thought, you know what, that's, that's okay. You know, you know how it is. Sometimes you, you, you spend money that you don't intend to spend and that's just how it goes. And so we had these little um, hiccups like that on the way. But we packed very light, nothing unnecessary. Everything had a purpose. We had one carry-on and one personal item. And one of the benefits was that it kept, us, kept our luggage with us. And so we had smooth travel the whole time. We used the Metro cars, did a great job, got very familiar with the system. And then we met with the Loshers. We started talking about how we were going to get back. It did not really dawn on me how far away Paris was from where we were. And it became very clear to both of us, you know what, we need to find a way to get to Paris 
without asking the Lochers to drive us all the way there. It'd be like a four-hour drive there and a four-hour drive back, or maybe three hours there and back. And that's a lot. Gas is very expensive. It would have been great to be there, but that would have taken them out of the seminary for a day. It just wasn't going to work. So we talked with them, and they suggested us that what we do is on Sunday— we would purchase tickets, uh, or we purchase purchase tickets, and on Sunday after church, we'd go. They'd drop us off at the Luxembourg Airport, which um, was here. Uh, drop us off at the Luxembourg Airport, and then we just fly to Paris, fly to London, and then fly home. So no problem. Uh, we had a great Sunday. They they uh, dropped us off at the airport. We found our gate. We sat down and we started watching the service. Uh, it was a Sunday morning service because they're six hours ahead. So it was about six o'clock. I tuned in started, or um, I guess it was five o'clock, started watching the service, really enjoyed that, enjoyed the service, um, uh, enjoyed the message, and started answering emails and things. And we're sitting there outside of our gate, 810. And uh, all of a sudden, I, I looked at my watch, and it was about 620. And I thought to myself, 620, 625, like, why haven't, we haven't heard anything about our flight. And this is very odd. And you know, you have that moment where you think, oh no, what's going on? Something's wrong. So I ran to the um, I, I literally ran over to one of the guys and said, do you speak English? He said, yeah, I can speak English. I said, I need to find out what's wrong with my flight because I, we're sitting here at A10, the ticket says A10, and I haven't heard our flight being called and it's supposed to leave and I don't want to be late. And he says, he says um, oh no, your flight is leaving and it's leaving right now. I said, well, I need to get on that plane because we have to get to Paris tonight because we have to get to London tomorrow because we have to get to Charlotte. And if we don't get to Paris, then we don't get to London, then we don't get to Charlotte. I don't know how we're going to get home. And uh, he says, no, you don't understand. I, I said, well, what happened? That, that's, that's my gate right there. He said, no, 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 that's the, that's, that's the sign for your gate. Your gate's downstairs. And I had been sitting outside that gate all afternoon. My wife and I had been sitting there just like catching up on emails and didn't even, I, I, had, I had just, and I felt so stupid. In fact, I told Jen, I said, we're not telling anybody about this. <laughs> I was kicking myself and I was very hard on myself. I said, Marshall, you're such an idiot. Like you did all this work and you planned everything out, but this was a little bit out. This was just a little bit of a change of plans and just enough that I, I didn't think through everything and I didn't check everything. And so I'm looking at this door, it says A10 and I didn't, and, and you know, small airports, it was a tiny airport. You know, you, you kind of say, well, it's no big deal. I can find it. No problem. And so immediately I, I, I run to the door. I, ho- I pull on the door. The door's locked. I, I go to the man. I say, I have to get on that plane. He says, that plane is gone. It's leaving. It's taking off right now. I run up. He said, you're going to have to go upstairs and talk to people. So I go upstairs and I talk to people and, I, and we go back through and come back around to where we had just gone through all the security and stuff. And I talk to the lady at the counter. I say, I have got to get to London. I've got to get to, to, um, to Paris tonight. She says, what's your final destination? London. And then, okay, we can get you to London. There's no more Paris flights tonight. Okay. She said, but there is a flight to London. I said, okay, but if we did the flight to London, then they're going to cancel my first leg and I won't catch it all the way to Charlotte. I don't know if that'll work or not. I've got to talk to American. So can you get me on the phone to American Airlines? Because my phone wasn't working properly. They finally got me on the phone to American. I'm talking. And then the lady says, yeah, the tickets to London, yeah, they're 730 euros a piece. And I said, no, 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 just stop it. And I looked at Jenna. I said, we got to find a way to get to Paris tonight. And we're in Luxembourg. And I cannot figure out what to do. And then I remembered something. I said, wait a second. Walter said that he was picking up somebody at the airport tonight at 7 o'clock. He was coming right back to the airport to pick somebody up. I looked at my watch. It was 7 o'clock. I called Carol. I said, she, Carol says, hey, how you doing? I said, uh, you're not going to believe this because you dropped us out like four hours before our flight took off, but we missed our flight. Oh, no. And then she got all excited because she thought we were going to come back and spend the night at her house. <laughs> And I said, no, no, no. I said, we have the hotel. Oh, I forgot to mention, we did have a hotel reservation in, right outside the airport, and we were just supposed to fly into the airport, go to the, take the shuttle to the airport, and, I mean, to the hotel, then back, and then we had everything lined up. And uh, she said, well, Walter's right around, he's one mile away from you right now. He's doing a Zoom Bible study in his car waiting for this guy, to, and his flight's been delayed. The guy who's supposed to show up at 7 o'clock, his flight's been delayed, so Walter has nothing to do for like 45 minutes. So I look on my phone, I find a train leaving from, from Luxembourg at 8.10, and it's going to Paris. It'll take two hours. So I call Walter, and I explain the situation to him, and he's so kind. He's like, oh, no, I'm so sorry. In the back, I don't know what he was thinking in the back of his mind. I, I wish I knew, or maybe I don't want to know, but, but, but he, he sa- I said, um, can, can you pick us up and take us to the train station? If we can make that train, we can get to Paris tonight. 
So we said, sure. And he swung by. We loaded up. We, hey, long time no see. So good to see you. We loaded up our stuff in the car, and we're explaining the thing to him. And I'm frustrated with myself. My wife is like, Marshall, it's okay. She is being such a good wife at this point. Uh, she didn't say any bad words to me at all. And, and I'm the one like just saying like horrible things to myself this whole time. And I'm really upset. But we get there. We run into the train station. We run. We find our platform. The train is coming in and unloading people, and we just jump on the train. We find our seats. We sit down. We make sure we're in the right train, and we check everything, and then we just kind of, oh, I can't believe it. I can't believe it. But boy, am I thirsty, and boy, am I hungry, because we dumped out all of our water before we got into the, uh, into the, uh, uh, the line for the security, and we have a two-hour train ride, and we finally make it to Paris. We get out of our Paris thing. And as on our way, I'm texting um, Walter. I say, okay, we're going to go from Luxembourg to Gare de l'Est, which is one of the train stations there in Paris. But really, we need to go to Gare de Nord to get up to Charles de Gaulle. And that's our route. And, or we need to get to our, our hotel, which is near Charles de Gaulle Airport. And I'm texting Carol saying, what's the best way to get to our, our hotel? You spent the many nights there. And she says, well, just get a taxi or get an Uber or something, and they will drive you there. It's about 50 euros, and it's just easy. It's about a 20-minute drive. Take you there, no problem. I'm talking with Jenna when all of a sudden I remembered something. I got a ticket in my wallet. That guy that we bought the first day we were here that I didn't use. And he said, it's for your trip back. And at the time, I thought, we won't need this because we're flying into the airport. We'll just stay at the airport. We're not going to come from Paris to the airport. I had no idea. So I said, Jenna, it might work. Let's see if it works. We pulled into Paris. We uh, got to Gardelest. We got out of, our, um, out of our train. We went around, found Gardenord. It was like a five-minute, six-minute walk in the rain. That was the other thing we got out. It was, of course, raining. We got there. And the whole week, we had packed. We had used everything in our luggage except our rain gear. And at that moment... We kind of smiled, pulled out our rain gear, got to use everything in our luggage, right? Walked in the rain for about six or seven minutes, arrived at Garden Nord, walked up to the gate. I pulled out, I gave, her my, I gave her one ticket, I took the other one, I said, okay, here's the moment of truth, all right, you ready? I went up to the little thing, and we had been using the contact, we hadn't used these little paper ones yet, stuck it in the thing, and went, it popped up, and the gates opened. And I was like, oh, I can't believe it. I can't believe it. It worked. Everybody around me must be thinking, that's how it always works, you dummy. <laughs> But I was so excited. I thought, I can't believe this. Like, God directed and redirected. Like, I am so dumb that I missed a flight I was three hours early for. And God knew I was going to be that dumb. So he had me buy a ticket on the first day I was there that I wouldn't use until the last day I was there. And we held on to that ticket the whole time. And God worked in that way. And I, I just sitting there, I was just amazed. I'm like, this is something, this is amazing. I've never had anything like this happen to me where God organizes and redirects and directs and does things exactly despite my foolishness. We got through there, we got on Garden Nord, we got north, we got off just as we were supposed to, walked 30 minutes, it stopped raining, got to our hotel. I had been carrying around some change in my pocket because all their one and two dollar, one and two euro coins, they don't have bills for that. Their lowest bill is a five. I'm so parched. I'm so thirsty. I can hardly talk. We go to the front. We, we should have ordered, we, you know, just to make sure this is the hotel that we paid for. Yes, everything's good, Mr. Fant. Here's your room. Oh, thank you, thank you. I turn. It's like, yeah, it's like 1230 at night. I turn, I look, and there's a vending machine. I go to the vending machine, I pull out my pocket, and there's like the exact amount of change I need to get a drink. And I'm like, I really, I was putting, I was like, thank you, Lord. I can't, I counted, I said, you watch, it's going to be just right. And I'm like counting it, yeah, perfect, thank you, Lord. I counted, I put it in there, we get it out, we split the drink on the way up, and we sent a picture to the loshers of us posing in our hotel room, so excited that we got there. Once we got there, the next morning we woke up, I was zipping my bag shut, I thought all of our worries were over, and well, my zipper broke on my, my bag. And I thought to myself, are you serious? <laughs> uh, now, I have two zippers on my bag, but we had been carrying our bags with us this whole time, and that's okay. If I have just the one zipper, as long as I keep it with me, I'm fine. I'll make sure I'll baby it home and make sure it doesn't bust open. But as soon as we get there, they say, no, your flight from Paris to London is full, and you will have to check this bag. And I think, it's going to come off the conveyor belt, you know, uh, exploding with stuff. <laughs> so we trusted the Lord. We said, okay, well, it is what it is. Lord, if you want us to do this, that's the way it goes. And so we checked our bags. We nervously watched our bags go down the conveyor belt, like, oh, be careful. 
And then we walked on and we, we got on our plane, landed in London, and watched nervously as the conveyor belt rolled around. We had not checked bags at all this whole time, and finally the conveyor belt rolls, and there's my bag, and it's fine. <laughs> so we were like, thank the Lord for that. Grab my bag. Here's our, here's our train here. You'll notice we're going 198 miles per hour on this train. It's pretty cool. I had to take a picture of that. And that's the British Airways. We were just so happy to see an airplane that, on the way home that I had to take that picture uh, there. And we saw Clay Gibbons. And we got to see the Gibbons. I saw him there. I gave him a big hug and uh, told him a little bit about what had happened. And um, God is so good in directing and in redirecting. Um, we, we, saw, we saw Clay and Danielle and their family. We got to eat at their house that night. He drove us across town to their place. I have some pictures, but I decided not to include those in there because we're already going a little bit late. But I wanted to meet you to meet there. They have a couple here. Uh, this is uh, the Crooks. The Crooks are a family from Greenville that have moved to uh, London to live there and help the Gibbons. And they and their family of, I think it's three boys, is that right? Are there with the Gibbons. And um, it was great. They, they, we had dinner together, and we enjoyed it. They, we slept, and then uh, Clay took us to the uh, airport the very next morning, and we flew out uh, to Charlotte. We arrived safely, and everything went fine. I, I just wanted to end by saying God protected us, and he provided for us in many ways, even through my foolishness. And, um, and we were able to minister and have a great time ministering. And uh, the Lord, I think, blessed our time together. And I, I just, I mean, in a very silly way, I think it's just apt, it's important to say you don't always know what you need until you, you don't always know what you need when you get it from God. Uh, sometimes he gives you tickets for things that are still in the future. And I imagine that God was shaking his head and saying, Marshall, see what I have to do because you're going to miss this flight. I have to give you this thing now. I think a lot of times, so many of these things about this trip tell us they fall perfectly in the place that only God could orchestrate. And I think a lot of us need to realize that when it comes to a lot of little things. There are little things in our life that happen. We don't always know the reason why, and I think God sometimes will show us. And I think at this moment, it was just a little illustration in my life that, that God does know what he's doing, even when we don't. A couple of prayer requests as I close, and um, the Loshers, if you could pray for them. Pray for Walter's ministry at the Institute as he's training young people. There in the Institute, pray for the church, growth among members. As we, the last Sunday we were there, Walter and Carol were there talking to a lady for probably an hour after church was over, and we waited for them before we went out and had lunch. Um, there's a lot of spiritual challenges there, a lot of spiritual needs, so pray for the church there in Luxembourg. Pray for Carol. She has a varied ministries right now. She's working with women in the church. She's also ministering to street women or to prostitutes there. There's a prostitute ministry. There's a district in Luxembourg of prostitutes where the prostitutes are allowed to, to be. And so she ministers there among those women and, and tries to, uh, to minister to them. It's a difficult ministry. That's a very hard, hard thing. So pray for Carol. She occasionally goes to Togo and serves uh, in Africa, and her, but she cannot do her medicine right now while she's in France. Also, from wisdom from mis- medical mission trips to Togo, pray for them as they go. Also, pray for, the, uh, pray for um, their children in the USA and their ministries they have. We'll get to see Liz and her husband this, this uh, fall. Uh, Liz uh, is a losher. Uh, she's now a dollhouse, and she'll be here for the missions conference um, at our church. And then lastly, pray for the Gibbons. Pray for direction from the Lord about where they should minister and encouragement for a, from a discouraging year. Also, pray for ongoing discipleship opportunities and new discipleship opportunities they're doing. Uh, partners in ministry, the crooks, they would encourage and help them there. And, and wisdom in homeschooling and discipling their children to walk with God. They actually have a new baby boy on the way. They're very excited about that. But it is just create, create extra uh, stresses and extra challenges. Thank you so much for the church for sending us on this trip. Uh, we, we appreciate all those who, who held up, um, uh, who encouraged uh, and helped us while we were gone, those who helped us with our children, those who uh, helped the things run here at church. Uh, the, they, they are grateful for the chance we had to come visit. They appreciated the visit. We appreciated the visit, and uh, God is very good to, uh, to see us home. We're just glad to be home, and, and we're thankful for the opportunity to go, and we'll do it again sometime. Why don't we stand together? We'll close in prayer. Thank you so much for being a good congregation tonight and listening. I'm sorry I went a little bit long, but I hope that this is an encouragement to you and a help for you to see what's going on in France. It will help you pray effectively in the future. Father, we pray your blessings. Uh, on the Loshers, on the Gibbons, especially as uh, they both have many different challenges. I thank you for this time. We were able to represent Harvest over there in France and minister. Uh, I pray that this would have been an encouragement to the Loshers as we spent our many uh, days there with them. And I pray, God, that you would equip them to, um, uh, to serve you as they, as, they, as they want to serve you. 
that you would bless them in many ways. I pray this, this semester would go well for the Institute, that you would, you would help uh, with the Gibbons and their challenges in ministry as well. You'd open doors of opportunity for them. And Father, I pray as we're here that we can remember there are people all around this world who are serving you and who need to be encouraged uh, to keep strong in the fight for the faith. We thank you for our good time together tonight. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, God bless you. Thank you so much for joining us online for our service today. If you have any prayer requests or spiritual needs, or if there's anything we can do for you, we would love to hear from you. Email me at pastor at harvestrockhill.org. Our staff and I would welcome any opportunity to serve you and minister to you. You may find all the information about the church at our website, harvestrockhill.org. We hope to see you here at Harvest for a service very soon. God bless. Hey, Andy. I oh, appreciate that.